the Mess It Up podcast, where we take your mess and turn it into a message. And now, here's Biker Chick and the Bowtie Guy. By now, you know this is the Mess It Up podcast, I hope. And uh, I am Bowtie Guy. And I am the Biker Chick. And we're here to try to take messes, turn them into messages. So this is just another week of that. We have a very cool uh, Christina-generated word of the week this week. Uh, not that she made this word up, but she came to this with, you know, asked me about this thing. I was like, oh, that's the word we're you know, going to use. And the word this week is irascible. Is that when you take a pencil and you try to remove the words off of a paper? Yeah, use your eraser. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Uh, yes, that would be awesome. But it's also... <laughs> okay, that was a Paul joke. <laughs> I just went with it. Just so you know. I can throw the joke out there. See, we love each other so much. We can, we can share in comedy. That's right. Uh, but uh, irascible is um, having the tendency to be easily angered. Um, and, uh, I know a lot of people in my life who are irascible. I have been, uh, at times that way. Um, and that's something I've really had to work with. So anyhow, I thought it would be kind of uh, a fun word. Uh, use that word, give yourself some bonus points. Um, I'm going to try to get some of the bookkeeping out of the way early today. Sounds good. So we don't have to do it at the end. All right. Uh, so we've got all of our Instagram and, and, uh, social media stuff. We've got the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter, uh, the Reddit, we're also on Patreon. Patreon is a great little platform that you can help support our ministry financially mm-hmm. for as little as $1 a month. That's right. Uh, and it just, uh, it's its a very easy thing to set up and it really honestly helps. And we have a couple hundred people who are listening. If everybody did a dollar a month, that would be a couple hundred dollars to help Christina and I keep the show going and, uh, and, and make it a little bit easier for us to not focus on finances quite as much and uh, keep doing more of what we love to do and what you'd love to hear. So we really appreciate any level that you want to do. So check that out on our podcast, uh, or on our, our, our podcast page, which is messituppodcast.com. There's a little button there you can click to uh, become a patron and share in with that. So that would be awesome if you wanted to join in with that. Definitely. And I think we also have some emails that people can get us. We got email this week from a, a listener who uh, just joined us, found us uh, on there, and sent us each an email. That was really awesome. But uh, my email would be bowtieguy at messituppodcast.com. Mine is bikerchick at messituppodcast.com. If you're feeling very aloha, you can email intern Dave in Hawaii. That is info at messituppodcast.com. And I think that pretty much takes care of most of our housekeeping stuff. Yep. Housekeeping. So um, I spent some time uh, away for the last couple weeks, and I saw a shirt that I really liked when I was at Celebrate Recovery Summit last week, and it said, I used to have a secret, now I have a story. And I thought, wow, yeah, that's... That's good stuff. Yeah, and to, to be able to take that secret and turn it into a story is a lot of what our premise is here for the show is, yep. is you know, it's a mess when it's a secret. Right. But when you, when I broadcast it out there, that secret's gone now, and it doesn't, it 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 loses its power on me, or it, it greatly diminishes yeah. the power on me. Uh, I've had times where it blows up in my face because I share my deep dark secrets, and people aren't ready to hear it. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes a person's ready to come to your house to have coffee, but they're not ready to spend the night. You know, and you, the deeper we go into each other's lives, the more it requires on both parts, a willingness on my part to let you come in, but a willingness on your part to go in there as well. Absolutely. Um, it can be scary yeah. when you're going into dark places. Yeah. Um, 
But I really like that idea of taking a secret and, and turning it into a story. But the thing that occurs to me is that it's a difficult bridge to cross sometimes. It, 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 there's a lot of things that go into making that switch from secret to story. Right. What, when you took your secrets and started turning them into stories, were there different things based on the secrets that you had to, different criteria, different bridges you had to cross? Like, okay, here's a little secret. I don't mind doing this, but I can just throw these out as a freebie. But some of them were like, I'm not just going to give this to anybody. Was, was taking the secrets in your life and turning them into the story of your life different for some of those secrets than others? Absolutely. How so was that? I well, mean, there was, I mean, originally when I started CR, it was just getting acquainted acclimated to CR and the fact that I had an issue. And so it was working through and even just acknowledging the fact that those secrets had even happened. That had to happen first before I could even consider sharing them with somebody else. And then um, I went through the process of the 12 step. Mm -hmm. And then after the 12 step, it was writing my testimony. And so that's my biggest sharing of my story is my testimony. And so to get to that point, I had to go through a lot of healing and sharing it with others in a small group and stuff like that. But still even, you know, some of the, the surface issues, I'm an alcoholic. Everybody could see that. Everybody could see the booze in my hand. You know, that's pretty out there. So I can admit that one. Um, I was pretty promiscuous. So everyone can see that one. Let's go ahead and throw that one out there. Um, but there was a couple that... I wasn't ready to acknowledge in public to another person. Mm -hmm. When I first did my um, inventory, I left something off of it. Not consciously, but it wasn't there. And so when I went through and I was doing my um, inventory for the second time, God was like, hey, what about this little nugget over here? And I'm like... I'm in denial about that still. Let's leave that there. And um, eventually worked through it and shared it with my sponsor first during my inventory and who didn't even blink twice about it, you know? And yeah, because I was like, oh, this is the worst thing in the world. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Like she's never heard anything like this, Um, but she had. And so it was, it wasn't a thing to her. She just rolled with it. You know, this is your story. Tell it to me, you know? And then God finally convicted me that that needed to be in my testimony. And it's a one-liner in my testimony, but it's there. Yeah. And, but it took years, three or four years, for that final dark, dirty secret that held so much shame for me to stop controlling me. Right. The, the bondage of that was finally broken, but it took quite the process to get there. You know, and that's why I think it's so important to keep working in recovery for me. Uh, when I was gone on my little vacation, I went up to uh, Portland to uh, visit my friend Dan, who will be sharing later on in the show mm-hmm. his story. But I did some concrete work. And so when I do concrete work, I, I don't do it every day now. So I always make sure I have gloves on because I don't want to get concrete hands and all that stuff. But at one point I had to grab something. I just grabbed a handful of concrete and and my hand was dirty. So I went and washed it off. I'm like, okay, got it clean. Then I was looking at my nails later on after I got showered stuff. I was like, oh, there's concrete stuck in the corners, little bits of dirt way in those corners. And I thought it was clean. It looked good. I was eating, you know, with my hands later and it was fine. But then on closer inspection, it's like, no, it's not. There's still 
those nooks and crannies where you have to just keep on going. And, and sometimes you can't get it. I mean, when you get cement, it's fine powder. It gets way up under there. Sometimes you have to let those nails grow out a little bit to get to where it's tucked way back in there. And, and my life can be that way where I have to, that first pass is good. I get most of the gook. Right. But then I can see the, the small details. Right. Uh, and I, I like how you, you know, you said that it was the big ones were a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're shocking. And sometimes we I felt like it was a secret, but yeah, people know mm -hmm. already those secrets. Um, do you think that the difference that you're talking there as you were saying it, what I'm hearing is the difference between a, um, a symptom and a character defect, that those symptoms are easy to identify and those character defects sometimes take a few passes to get into it. Like, okay, the alcoholism is a symptom of the, you know, lack of self-worth or, or, or whatever it happens to be. Do you think that that's some of it? No. Okay. Because I think it was all symptoms of, um, just, I'm on a big trauma kick right now. So I think there's a devaluing of me at a certain point in my life and, um, or over, over years of my life, honestly. And so I think that the, the defect had nothing to do with it, that all of these secrets were more the symptoms of that de defect than anything. Okay. And so at what point, I mean, are you, is this like brand new realization now? So you're still no, I, discovering or? For me, this... the reason I kept this one secret is because it was behind closed doors with only a few people present. So it's not something anybody would know of. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely a secret type yeah, thing. Right. And so that secret was much easier to manage and control on my own. Right. Um, the thing that I failed to see for so long was the shame that encompassed that right. secret. And so, you know, I was more willing to share what other people would see, but anything that was more of a secret. Right. And I think it's important at this point to make sure that we, when we're talking about sharing secrets, that we need to look at that 12 step thing. You know, we're not hurting other people because we're sharing our secrets. Right. For instance, if I say, you know, I was heavily involved in viewing pornography, that's me sharing my secret. Right. If I say, I was looking at pictures of this person, this person, this person, that's not. Right. What we're talking about doing here to, to you know, bur unburden yourself. Exactly. That's not part of your story. That's part of their story. Right. They get to tell that if they choose to, but, right. but I need to, and sometimes for me that can be, I question the level of detail that's necessary mm -hmm. to tell the story. And what I try to do and what I try to uh, counsel other people to do, tell me as little as you need to for me to understand the story. Absolutely. I don't need to know all the, you know, greasy details. The details. Of everything. That's right. for a Stephen King novel. Yep. This is, you know, sharing the stories what important. Yep. Not the, the, the super detail-y exactly. stuff. Because a lot of times what those details do, they rat out somebody else who doesn't, it's not fair to them. Right. But it also triggers people. Yeah, you know, it's I've, absolutely. I've listened to testimonies where people have triggered me because they start going into these details and these emotions that they're feeling, and they, I, I don't know necessarily why we do it. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes in testimonies, I get the feeling we're just telling war stories and trying to make sure that we're bad enough right. to validate us speaking in public. Mm -hmm. But it it's a trigger thing, and 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 sometimes we're just going to trigger people 
because our story is going to trigger them. I mean, if you right. just say, I'm an alcoholic and I used to go to the bar and drink, that might trigger a person because they just do it. It's not right. that you're intentionally doing it. But if you go in and say, I had this drink and this and blah, blah, then now we're dangering into that, that trigger zone. I think it's definitely figuring out what is important to your story personally. Um, in my testimony, I make reference to a specific alcohol because that is the specific alcohol that triggered an event moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely think we have to be careful of those details. Um, because if you are pointing fingers at somebody else versus your own role, that's also where you can get in trouble. Yeah. If you're like, Oh, so-and-so was involved in this with me, then yeah, you're crossing that line of taking their stuff and putting it out there. And the specific secret that I talk about, it is in my testimony. It is a one line um, thing. It it is specific enough of an incident that happened to where if you are close to me growing up, Mm -hmm. then you know who it involves. But if you're not near the general public, then you don't. So it's, it's walking that line of, like I always go down to what is God pushing me and encouraging me to share that will glorify his work in my life. Period. Yeah. If it's something, you know, cause I've gone through my testimony, I'll read it out loud, you know, prayed over it, all of those things to say, okay, God, am I telling the story that you want me to tell? Right. And that's, what's important because the story is not about me. And that's why I label my testimony, which is my story of God's glory. Wow. This is a story of his tale, that's, not that's about me. That's stuff right there. That messed me up just a little bit. I hadn't, and, and I think we've talked about it, but I hadn't processed that in a while. That's, that's a really big difference. Mm-hmm. It's a huge difference. Yeah. Wow. I like that a lot. And it kind of fits in with uh, the song that I have for a wor- uh, song of the week. I'm going a little bit off book with the song of the week. Yeah, you are. Because uh, we're doing a song that's not, you know, specifically a Christian worship type song that you hear on, you know, the K-Love or the, the you know, Blessing FM or whatever you got going on in your district there. Uh, but this is a song that I heard at Celebrate Recovery Summit. And uh, Rodney Holmstrom brought this in his message, which was Sorry, anybody else who's listening from the national team. I think it was the best message I've ever heard, ever, in all the summits I've ever attended. It blew my brains away. But he brought this song, and this is a song from The Greatest Showman. It's called This Is Me. So give it a listen, and we'll be back on the other side to talk about it. Excuse me. I'm 
I had seen this movie, but I had not really paid a lot of attention and thought about it. And I, it may have struck me when I heard this, though, that sounds like a nice song for a CR kind of thing. But uh, when Rodney brought this in his message, he's just talking about, you know, who we are and, and this story that we have. And that's why I liked it for this whole idea is this secret that's a story now. This is who I am. This is what's going on. Right. But I love the, the line is, I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. That doesn't mean we don't make amends. That doesn't mean we don't apologize for things. But I don't apologize for how God made me. I apologize for the things I've done, for the mistakes I've made, for the hurts that I've caused. But for me, you know, I'm God's masterpiece, mm -hmm. original masterpiece of God, the creator of the world, the guy who made, invented sunsets. That guy, after he made sunsets, decided to make me because the sunset wasn't good enough. The mountains weren't good enough. The ocean wasn't good enough. The whatever wasn't good enough made me. And he's still making masterpieces. Right. And, and I don't, for so long I've apologized for all because I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel good enough. Right. And I devalued myself in my own eyes and in God's own eyes. And I, I projected my tiny little me onto what God would think about me. Right. And, and it's so ridiculous. I mean, I was in a meeting today at church and I got a FaceTime from my daughter and I was like, yeah, let's watch it. It's my, my grandbaby. And I'm just showing her, look, here it is right here. Check this girl out. And that's what God does with me. Right. You know, he lets me interrupt his meeting and he shows me like, he's so proud. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Gives us the feels. Yeah. Yeah. All the feels. Yeah. So anyhow, um, I like this idea of taking secrets and turning them into uh, stories. I like this idea of taking messages, turning them into messages. And the only way we can do that is if we stop being greedy. Right. If we stop holding on to our secrets because we're afraid that people won't like us or we're not good enough or whatever. I heard a story in church today and she was talking about something, but it reminds me of the same concept. Stop acting like you're the owner and start realizing you're a steward that all of these things, our story is God's first. We don't own it. Mm -hmm. We are a steward of that story. Yeah. And we are to use it the way that God intends us to use it. Absolutely. And he, he, he doesn't want us to keep it a secret. Nope. It just makes us yucky. It doesn't glorify his grace. Right. Right. So share your story. If you want to share your story with us, please use those emails. Uh, if you're a lady, uh, you can email uh, Christina at, uh, what was yours again? Bikerchick at MessItUpPodcast.com. And guys can email me at BowtieGuy at MessItUpPodcast.com. Or if you just want both of us to get it, uh, you can email it to Intern Dave there at info at MessItUpPodcast.com, and he will pass that along to us. Uh, we got a story this last week uh, from my friend Dan in uh, Oregon, so I want to share that with you. So uh, we're going to sign off now, but keep on listening because there's more to come with Pastor Dan. Enjoy this story. If you've got a story, get a hold of us. It's just a Skype call away from um, being able to share your story with the rest of the world. So thanks for listening. Here's Pastor Dan. So this is something we've never done before on the show. This is an interview segment. I am up in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, uh, just outside of Portland, Oregon, sunning myself in the balmy 80 degree weather and uh, just a tiny bit of rain in this week. But I came up here to visit some friends and I was just having a conversation with my friend uh, here. 
and thought, man, this would be a great little segment for the show. So this is an interview segment, never done it before. If it turns into a mess, we'll try to turn it into a message. And if it's just great, we'll say awesome. But either way, you know how we roll. So um, this is my friend that I'm staying with. Uh, tell us who you are, friend. I am uh, Pastor Dan. I pastor a little church up in the Pacific Northwest and uh, been here for eight years. And my wife Have you and I, really? Yeah. Oh my word. Long time. That is a very long time. Now, we've known each other for, I was trying to figure out, but I don't know when you moved to the Ridgeville. 2000, no, 1998. No, it was in the 2000s. Was it 2000? It had to have been the 2000s, yeah. Oh, no, it was 2002. You're 2002. Right. Okay, so 2002, so 17 we're... 17 years. 2019 here, so 17 years we've known each other. My goodness, our relationship is old enough to drive. It's almost old enough to go out and buy a pack of smokes. That's correct. We're wow. old enough to be grandparents in our relationship. Wow. Wow. No, parents. Grandparents. Because it's Oh, parents of our relationship. We could have a 17-year-old. Right. So the relationship would be with the a baby, parents. And then we, we have a grandparent. Got it. Okay. Biology's hard sometimes for me. Right. I was a history major. I, I have, know what happened. I don't know what could happen. I have friends that I met that were teens. When we got to Ridgecrest, they have babies. Therefore, I feel old. Wow. My knees hurt. Therefore... I feel old. I've seen your knees this week, and you are yeah. old. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a rough thing. So anyhow, before we started doing this, we were talking about a story that you were telling me from your youth, and I wanted to be able to share that, and you were gracious enough to do it. So if you could just give us the uh, Reader's Digest, mess it up version of what you were telling me, and uh, we'll just kind of go from there. Okay. I, I grew up in a non-Christian home, so I went to church. Uh, specifically for what I could get out of church as a teenager and as a kid. So at 11, I got saved. And then two years into that... Now, uh, right. just to back it up, because they don't know your history, you're how many kids in the family? We have... I have eight brothers and sisters. And you are number... I am number seven of eight. So you're way down the line. So way you had line. older... And how many of those were living at home with you in the times that you remember? Uh, I have uh, life experiences with about four of them, maybe five. Okay. And it depends. We all had different fathers. So that kind of tells you a little bit of where my mom's head was. And then when did you start going to church? Uh, funny, you should ask that. Uh, guy came by our house when I was about nine years old and said, hey, we go to Dairy Queen every other Sunday. If you'll come to church, and so I went to church every other Sunday. For, did, did you hit the right ones? I did, always. Okay. Matter of fact, I became the uh, bus helper so that I could get sprinkles oh, on my doctor. ice cream cone nice. at Dairy Queen. Huh. And when, that was when you could get a Dairy Queen ice cream for 25 cents. Holy mattress. And you went for the ice cream. You didn't go for the dilly bar because I was always a dilly bar guy. We couldn't do we couldn't do the dilly bar because it wasn't fair. So, oh. But dip cone is much better than a dilly bar. You think? It is. I, I don't know. It is good. They, they dipped back then. They dipped in cherry and butterscotch. Yeah. I didn't chocolate. like the Dairy Queen dipped because I think because they had the Dilly Bar, but I liked a Foster's Freeze. I would get a dipped cone on the Foster's Freeze. Uh, and I loved it when it would melt a little bit and crack, and then it would like ooze out I of the I like the Foster's Freeze. The one in Ridgecrest, I remember, had the star-shaped ice cream, and then you would dip them. Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, we've digressed into dessert, which is something we do quickly. Um, so you were a young child. Uh, you started going to church at mm -hmm. eight, you said? At eight or nine, I don't know. Okay. Then. And uh, went to youth camp, got saved at age 11. 
uh, we were, it was, I can remember the, the week in August that it was. And, and I remember being challenged to, uh, make this thing real. And so I did and I followed, followed Jesus and all that stuff. And so, um, I even remember the song. I decided to follow Jesus. Oh, we have that on our shirts at our church yeah. when we baptize people. So, so that was the decision to follow Christ. Now, same church this whole time. Uh, yes. Same family taking you, or now are you getting picked up by a bus? It was a bus you? ministry, and so, and that kind of progressed into something major, and, and that's a whole other message altogether. Okay. But, but in that time frame, I rode the bus with this guy named Ken. He's a really nice guy. I have to ask. Yeah. How long was it? It was bus? a long bus. It was a long bus. Okay. It was a long bus. Okay. And uh, so we uh, went to ice cream every other week. I went, uh, got saved at 11, uh, but my circumstances at home didn't change. The The mess that I was born into mm -hmm. doesn't change just because just because you get saved doesn't mean your your home life changes. Right. And that's the, that's the problem with getting somebody to accept the Lord. They feel like, Oh, everything's going to be roses and it's not. Name it and claim it. Yeah. And so what happens was I come home and I want to serve the Lord. And my mom would say, well, she would throw things at me that she knew she spoke a little bit of Christianese based upon the fact that she went to church when she was a kid. She'd say things like, well, you know, uh, the Bible says you're supposed to obey your parents. You never obey me. Right. And that is something that they throw in the face of these kids. And, and what it makes the kids do is rebel and say, you know what? I'm not going to go to church. But I didn't do that. I continued going to church. Uh, but yet when I got home, by Sunday afternoon at home or Sunday evening, I was already back into the swing of uh, the punk that I was throughout the week. And so uh, one week I had a particularly bad week of decisions. And one of the things I did was um, I stole some money from uh, a girl's purse. And uh, I remember we were uh, at a choir concert or a choir activity and, and I sang in choir, and, and, uh, but I was not the good kid at that point. And I stole this money and I remember uh, specifically getting uh, put in custody by the school uh, security department. Okay, so this is school choir, not church choir. Right, school choir. Okay. So I get this money stole, and on the way home, I decided, well, forget this, I'm going to steal something. And back then, uh, my only vice, I didn't do drugs or anything like that, I, I stole a big, huge bag of chocolate bars from uh, the local market. And I got caught, and they said, we're going to tell your parents. And so uh, I only have one, so I said, sure, whatever. And left and decided before I uh, went home that I could not live with the embarrassment of being a, a, a caught thief. And so when I went home that day... Is that because of messages that came from parents or just your own internal... There was there were several things that went into that. First of all, I was embarrassed to be known at the church by somebody who stole. Mm -hmm. and, and, and here's the thing. At 11 years old, the church has watched me for two, three years. They know that I was a little thief. They knew yeah. what I was. So I wasn't hiding it from them very well. My mom, I was more fearful of the abuse that I would get from my mom. Okay. Because she was the type of parent who would pick up anything and swing it. And so I knew I was in, in deep doo-doo, deep stuff. And so I went home and, and I had been diagnosed with epilepsy. So I had um, anti-epileptic uh, or medis medications for epileptic. It was uh, like Tegretol or something like that. Anyways, it doesn't matter what it was. I had a bottle and a half, and I downed a bottle and a half of these uh, anti-seizure meds. And um, I could tell 
that it was it was working. I started to go in and out of consciousness and and I knew it was probably a scream for attention because I went out and I sat, it was, I sat at the end of our trailer on that hitch thing that is out there. And I remember sitting there and um, somebody asked me what was wrong. And I just told them, I said, I can't live with this anymore. And so that decision caused me to um, confess something that I had been holding back for years. So in that decision, they ran in and told my mom, we, um, we called an ambulance. They called an ambulance, and and uh, that day uh, when we went to the ER, I died twice in mm. the in the ER. I lost my heartbeat stopped, and they had to um, paddle me awake. Um, and I remember uh, waking up uh, hours later. And now, usually when you wake up from a traumatic event, you remember what is taking place in the room. And my mom looked at me and said, "You're the worst kid I've ever had." Now, seven of eight, I was the first one to graduate. First one to make it past eighth grade. Uh, first one to ever go to church. Uh, first one to do those things. But she didn't recognize that as success. She recognized that as rebellion. Mm. And so she said to me, I was the worst child she'd ever had. And I remember that. It scarred me for a long time. So in the process of processing that, um, the state required that I be put into a hospital. So I went into a, a psychiatric hospital for teenagers for six weeks. Now this is Arizona in the 70s, 80s? Arizona in the, it was in the 70s, it was late 70s. And so um, they had adolescent wings. And so we would go there. And it was, it's everything you would think. You would hear screaming in the hallway in the middle of the night. You would hear, uh, you would see somebody in the morning who just got done with electroshock. And you'd see them be spaced out, and at night they're going crazy. So I was there for six weeks. Oh my gosh! The entire time I was there, the only, the only visitors I had were that bus driver, mm -hmm. my youth minister, and um, and my youth pastor. My, you know, from my and, and the kids from church. They actually brought the kids from church down to see me. Oh goodness! So um, how was that? Was there was it embarrassing? Was it? Was, it... it was hugely embarrassing. But it was finally, it was a, you know, when you when you get into a mess and all that stuff comes out and all that, yeah, you know, there's there's a certain there's nothing left to hide anymore. So there's a certain amount of relief. And the kids, I, I knew at that point, everybody knew who I was. Now, what you we need to understand about kids, they know each other. The kids knew who I was and they knew the type of person I was. So I wasn't popular by any stretch. And this didn't make me more popular. It just made me a victim. And mm -hmm. so they finally saw what, I, what was going on. So at age 11, uh, when I got saved, at 13 when this happened, I began to see that the people who, who cared more for me were people that had Christ in their life. Mm -hmm. And so even my mom, who says later on down the road, I mean, in my adult life, we finally had, had some conversation where that was made up. But... Uh, and she, you know, had expressed her, her pride in having me as a kid. But um, as a teenager, the only acclamations I got or accolades I got was from, uh, from church people. Mm -hmm. And so I began to start to go to church in the morning with the bus. And then I would not go home. I would just stay at the church until the evening service because I knew I was safe there. And so that relationship developed into, in, at age 16... Um, I surrendered to ministry 
but that wouldn't have happened had not those people invested into what I was going through and stayed with it. Yeah. And they only did that because it's of, so easy when you have the kid who's stealing. You're like, look, we can't have this kid at the church. He's mm-hmm. going to be stealing out of the offering and, and you know, taking stuff. And it's, and it's yes, real that, easy to, that happened. to shove that kid. <laughs> right. But, but I mean, it's easy to shove that kid away and say, well, this yeah. is a bad kid. It's much easier to take, you know, little Sally who wants to sing in the choir and mm-hmm. minds her behavior and is a great student and an athlete and all that. That's, that's you know, you want that, that poster child, mm-hmm. you know, out there so often because they're easier to deal with. Right. I think my biggest conflicts in youth group was I was the same age as the pastor's kid. And so pastor, the pastor's son surrendered to ministry at the same time I did. The church, the political side of church, decided that they were going to license him, and they did not license me to the ministry. Oh, wow. So what they ended up doing was basically patting him on the back and saying, we believe that God has called you to ministry. And me, they were saying, oh, it's a phase. You're just here because you want the attention. Yeah. And that's the danger when you have a kid who's stuck on the outskirts and they, they try to push themselves in. You always feel like they're not real. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward 15 years, <laughs> he's selling carpet. I'm a full blown youth minister and moving into pastoring. And, and that blows my mind to think that this ruffian idiot teenager was loved enough by these people at this church. And the only reason I know um, that God was in this is because these people lived uh, God's love to me. Now, granted, you're always going to have people who judge you, but they didn't. The, the ones who, who needed to speak into my life were able to speak into my life. And I was willing to accept it. Yeah. Um, and... It, the uh, the thing is, I, I see there's been so many people that that go through something like that with having a kid that comes in and they're almost like a uh, like a mascot mm-hmm. for the church, so the church can say, "Oh, look what we're doing for this little guy." Oh, look, hey, you know, mm-hmm. don't you want to help out, you know, little Danny here and and send him to camp? Yeah, but. I quite frequently we quit being nice when it's that we it's easy to throw a little bit of money at something and feel good and then move on uh, when there's a hurricane we there's always that you know if you text you know a number to five 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 the Red Cross will get you know ten dollars from you and it's like okay great awesome I, I did it now I don't have to think about those people anymore right and uh, I remember going to New Orleans after Katrina to do some rebuilding and we were there for the one year anniversary and there were some people there helping but not many and, and I asked the guy when I was leaving that was the uh, project manager of this construction site I said you know what do you really need he said we need more people mm-hmm. he said everybody came right after everybody wanted to help us everybody knew what was going on now we're halfway through these projects but we don't have any laborers and our uh, permits are going to run out and we're not going to be able to finish our projects. And we do that same thing. We let the permit run out on the child because it's, it's one thing to send him to camp for a weekend, but let's send this kid to school. Let's, let's take this kid in. Let's, you know, let's grow this person into a mature Christian who can then minister to way more people than we can by ourselves. Right. Well, I, I have to tell you, this little church that I went to, we had, you know, 30 youth in there. Um, 
I lived 20 miles from church and that bus would take me 20 miles to church. Mercy. So, um, difference between North Tucson and, and where we were on the east side of Tucson. But do you know, did they target like, okay, let's just go out to this trailer park and just see who's there. The or? bus driver lived in our area. So he actually oh, targeted okay. his neighborhood to take us out. So that bus driver actually passed away. Then a deacon was taking me to and from church in a church van. They decided to downsize to a van and I kept going. And, um, and then when he stopped driving the van, there was this little lady, her name was Norma. And uh, I think she's still alive. She's in Tucson. Her and Norma and Dorothy, they were Sunday school teachers, uh, lived together like, you know, the Golden Girls kind of thing, but, mm -hmm. you know, Christian world. And uh, they, to this day, will find me, send me a Christmas card, and tell me My how proud they are. And so um, people like, you know, Facebook's a wonderful thing for different reasons. People don't like it. But I'll tell you that the, um, the deacon who busted me for making long-distance calls from the church huh. um, still contacts me on the Facebook. Who? On the Facebook? On the Facebook. Okay. Uh, who are you calling long-distance? Uh, I actually had a girlfriend in another state. Meet her at camp? I met her at, on tour. On tour. Because remember now, just because you're a Christian and you serve in ministry, you still have this home influence. So when I came home, I was still thinking I'm going to serve the Lord, but there was a six month stint between the age of 18 and 18 and a half or 19, where I came home, I was singing full time at a, at a ministry. I came home and, and you may know this, I actually sold lingerie for six months. I don't know if you knew that or not. I did not know that about you. This is I, uh, so amazing. Breaking, breaking news. I sold laundry for six months, made the most money any kid could ever make. Now, are there pictures of that on the Facebook? There are no pictures of that on the Facebook. Uh, However, <laughs> the uh, my friends remember that. And the church remember that. I used to have to work on Sundays. And they would say to me, aren't you going to come to church while you're here? And, and this uh, is a lingerie shop or you going door to door selling like mail order lingerie? We actually, we had a shop, but we actually went on the weekends to the local swap meet, which is where you want to buy lingerie. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, I made a lot of money. And so I didn't give up my Sundays. And out of the blue, my youth pastor from that church was at another church, called me and said, look, God is just telling me right now, you need, and this is a Southern Baptist guy who, you know, doesn't, you know, speak in prophecy too much. We said, God just told me you need to stop doing what you're doing and come and work with me. And two weeks later, I was in Southern California. And that's how I got to Southern California. And this is in the 80s. That was 1986. 86. And here we are, 2019. Mm -hmm. You have been senior pastor up here in Oregon for eight, eight years. years. And then a couple years before that in California. And then youth pastoring all that time. How long have you been in what you would consider to be ministry as a profession, not necessarily ministry like, you know, serving and singing, but, but professional ministry, how long has it been? Oh, I would say since 1990. 1990. So we're looking at 30 years practically. Wow. Uh, it was part-time before that because I was going to community college and doing youth intern stuff, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, and, and I didn't get paid for it, but those are the people who work the most, you know, the guys who don't get paid. Right. Um, I don't know that. I don't know that either. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, 
It's been a long time. I uh, I, don't have, I have no regrets. I have you know every. Uh, listen, I can tell you that in 30 years of ministry, it's probably been a lot more uphill walking than downhill. So why no regrets then? Uh, because every time you get to the top, you get to see what you overcome. And you get to see this valley of what you went through. Yeah. And you get to see everything. I mean, you have this new perspective. When you get to the top of that first hill and you look back and you say, I cannot believe I just did this. And then you, think, you, and then you party a little bit on top of the mountain. Right. And you turn over and you think... Oh, I got another mountain to climb. Yeah. <laughs> and so you get there and, and, and typically there's always a trail cut for you. Now, sometimes we, you know, uh, and this is pastoral imaging coming out, but this mm-hmm. is what it is. It, it, typically there's a trail to follow. The only time I get in trouble is when I get off the trail. It doesn't mean the trail's any easier because you can still be on the right, on the right trail and it's an uphill battle. Yeah. But the problem is we get off the trail and we decide, you know what, I'm going to go chase this rabbit for a little bit or I'm going to... Uh, I, I think I see something I want to I went I went hiking a couple of weeks ago in the Sierras with my friend, and we did not know where the trail was. We knew where we were headed. We could see where we were headed way up mm-hmm. the mountain, uh, but there was no trail. We missed the trail, and so we went through the bush, and it was considerably more difficult. But I had that same feeling of, like, I can't believe it. I, had, I was like, I'm not in great shape. <laughs> so I had to stop. Thankfully, my friend that I went with tiny bit fractionally worse shape so he always wanted to stop before me so I never had to be the one like I gotta stop I just I knew if I just waited three four more steps you're never the low hanging fruit he was gonna be there (laughs) so so I picked my friends wisely um so we stopped the first time and I turned around I was like oh my gosh the the parking lot that we had left was way below us I didn't know because I felt like I was about to die and I just felt like we've been going you know, just a few minutes, but we got up pretty fast there. But coming down, we had a trail. It was much easier when someone's gone through and, and cleared most of the rubble. There's still heavy lifting to do. There's still labor, but not nearly as much as if you're having to clear the rubble. There's something to be said about finishing a journey, you know, whatever that part of the journey is, and looking down that hill. Mm-hmm. And like you say, you saw the parking lot. Um, and when you're in the parking lot, it doesn't look nearly as well as it does when you get up on top. When you get up on top, you get to see, oh, wow, there's a layout to this. Mm-hmm. There's meaning to the way they do this. Oh, I see why they did this. You know, you see. So that's the that's the aha moment when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. You have this relationship that sometimes you don't know where it's going, but you just trust in it. And you keep going, and then you get to the top, and you're like, oh, wow, this is great. And uh, even when you get to the top, to get to the next hill, you step down a little bit and you have this little kind of coasting feeling going. Yeah. And then you, you have to start back up. The problem is, and you probably experience this when you're hiking, we go so far, we say, you know what? I can't go anymore. And then we, we decide to give up. And I've had people in our church that are, you know, 95 years old that say, you know, all I can do is pray. I said, that's the journey, man. Yeah. You know, if I could get, if I could get these young people to pray, they would see the need to walk. Yeah. You know, because you've walked it, you can pray and you can see everything they're going through. Sure. And I mean, I, I would be surprised if there's people out there who spent time in church in the last 20 years that have not seen the scene from, you know, facing the giants with the kid on the kid's back and right. going, he's blindfolded and he's like just encouraging him and he can't make it anymore. He goes way farther than he thought because mm-hmm. when we see that, that giant, it's, it's easy to give up. It's easy to quit. Like spiritual recon. Yeah. Send a guy out and then they can walk you through it. And that's discipleship. That's the way Paul uh, grew the church. 
yeah. through discipleship. He'd go over a hill, and he had a thorn, and he got he got through it. Um, that guy had lots of messes. Oh gosh, yeah. And uh, you know, and, and you think about uh, think about the story of Peter. How long how long did we really hear about Peter? A few years. That was it. Yeah. We have no idea what he was before he met Jesus, other than he was a fisherman. Right. I don't know many fishermen that are great people. Right, you know, they're not personality-wise. Yeah. I mean, nothing against you if you're person, or, you know, fisherman. No, yeah, absolutely. It was a rough tr- trade, though. It's a tough, yeah, rough yeah. trade. And if you if you're feeling bad about yourself, I highly encourage you to read the story of the heroes of the Bible, the mm-hmm. best people in the Bible. Read their stories, because with the exception of Jesus, they were all mess ups, pinheads. They, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they they did some stuff. I mean, look at David, look at Paul. Mm-hmm. Look at Peter. Look at John. I mean, all these people that wrote the Bible, Moses, you know, they all had major, major missteps in their life. And it wasn't always their choice. I mean, listen, I mean, we choose to do a lot of dumb things. I know this. Um, you know, decaf, bad choice, you know, <laughs> but we, there's some things we don't get a choice in. We're dealt with. And that, the life I was dealt with as a kid, I, I did not have a choice with the parents right. I had. I had a choice in the decisions I made within that situation. And there are people that rise to the top and there are people that never make it. And that's where um, we have to teach and recognize the mess. And we have to teach and recognize that, yeah, you're in it now, but I can help you get through it. And one of the things that's most damaging, and this is clear word of encouragement, one of the things most damaging is to recognize somebody's in a mess, pat them on the shoulder and say, man, you got a mess. Yeah. And that's it. And they walk away because if they don't, if, if, if I don't get involved with your mess, then I might as well just put my stamp of approval on it. Yeah. And that's not what we're supposed to do as brothers in Christ. Yeah. And, and you and I have had many conversations where we think, oh, probably shouldn't have done, you know, we get to that hiccup moment in our life and, and, uh, Probably, in most lives, people would walk away from relationships, but we can't do that. Right. We're not called to do that. And I think that, you know, people will say, you know, well, I, I can't swim, so they're afraid to get in the water because I'll sink. And, and here's the deal. If you can't swim and you drown, mm-hmm. your dead body will float. Right. We're all going to float. God has it in us to float. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of, are you going to struggle to stay down and not just accept it and get up there and have what God has for you? Or, you know, are you just going to roll over on your back? And at some point, service is coming up, mm-hmm. you know? And so um, I encourage you to do that. And you certainly are some of the cream that has floated to the top, Dan. I, uh, Dan met me as a youth pastor, and I was fresh out of jail Uh as a registered offender. So there's no way we should have become friends yet. Here we are. Uh, so, um, if we can do it, then anybody can do it. You should be able to do it. Yeah. It shouldn't be that hard. Well, thanks for making this segment, you know, cool. This was our interview segment. Just a quick and you know, 27 minutes, you know, long. between <laughs> friends. Uh, but you know, mess it up podcast by now we go long. Uh, so, uh, really appreciate, appreciate you listening. Uh, Pastor Dan, is there any way that people can get a hold of you if they want to hear more of your story or just uh, get involved with uh, what you're doing in life up here in the Northwest? You know what? You can always email me, and my email is difficult to remember. Okay. All right. Hang on. I'm going to grab a pen. Dan. Dan. At danpaxton.com. Oh, wow. That's tricky. How did you come up with that? Uh, I think my friend Paul helped me do that. Was that your your friend Dan? That you like, I Dan Paxton? He's yeah. like your favorite guy. You decided well, to name your website after him? We, uh, I was a mover and shaker 
And okay. uh, I started the internet with with that, that okay. website. You and started the internet, uh, yeah. or that was your first foray into the internet? Me and Al Gore. You and Al Gore. We started the internet. <laughs> and then uh, I passed the idea on to this guy. He said, I want to do this thing where I use MySpace. And I said, hey, that's a great name. Oh. MySpace. MySpace, right. So he took it. Right. And ran with it. Tom. Yeah. And, and here's the problem. It would have been your, I stuck with Alta Vista first. Right. And then from there, it just it took off. And yeah. I couldn't go that way because it wasn't really for me. No, you were some kind of a Yahoo. No, I was a Yahoo. Yeah. But wow. my eyes are Googled. Yeah. Here's the Googly. thing. <laughs> Sometimes we should quit two minutes ago. <laughs> this is one of those times. If I could go back two minutes, I'd probably do the same thing stop. over again. Well... <laughs> I'm glad that we got to do this. Thank you for sharing with us. Uh, hit Dan up at uh, dan at danpaxson.com if you've got questions. Otherwise, uh, that's what we've got. Hope you enjoyed the interview section, and I'm going to throw it back to Biker Chick now. Thanks for checking out the Mess It Up podcast. If you've got any questions or feedback, please email info at messituppodcast.com. Don't forget to share with your friends, and we'll see you next time we mess it up. Mess it up.